Mega Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Africa Calling Podcast on February 4th, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of interesting stories from our correspondents on the African continent this week. In this episode, our correspondent takes a look at the rising numbers of suicide, particularly among men, in Malawi. Our Kenya correspondent reports on discrimination against the Nubian community by the Kenya government. From Ghana, we have a report on a special dance studio that helps underprivileged kids get their groove on. And finally, don't forget our song at the end. Africa Calling In Kenya, voters are going to the polls in August. One group of people who has lived in Kenya since 1900 won't be able to exercise their right as citizens, however. Members of the Nubian community face challenges of acquiring national identification cards and other documents. This means community members cannot acquire or inherit properties, nor get proper jobs, and they can't participate in the voting process. Our correspondent Victor Maturi has more on this from Kisi, Kenya. Birds Chapel here in a Nubian community village located next to Kisi town in western Kenya. The Nubians are one of the oldest communities in the country, having entered in Kenya as early as 1900. They were working in the British Army in Sudan and were forcefully brought to secure British imperial colonial rule in Kenya. More than 100 years later, their descendants are having a hard time getting important documents such as birth certificates and national identity cards. Hashibo Bwaka is 23 years old and a footballer at the local club says he has not received his national identity card since he applied two years ago. I'm a player and playing for Shabana. My former team, Nubian Kings. I play for Shabana FC. Previously, I played for Nubian Kings. The challenge I have is the national identification card. If I could get one, I could be playing in another level, but now I can't. That's why I'm around without a job and life is really hard. We've been called for vetting several times, but I haven't received an ID. We'd also like to vote, but we don't have voting cards. It's very hard for Nubians to get IDs unlike others. I don't even have a bank account, and even if I get sick, I don't don't have the National Health Insurance Fund card. The issue of documentation has also affected Nubians accessing the community education system, making it difficult to further their studies, especially those waiting to go to university. Locals say that in the late 1970s, Nubians used to get their IDs and birth certificates, but the situation changed gradually when their population started to increase. Abdul Said Shaban, a Bachelor of Education and Music student at Desta University, says his parents are struggling to pay his campus fee and he cannot apply for higher education loan because he doesn't have his national identification card. I applied, it was in November 2020, I remember very well, we were still in Form 4, but up to date, over a year and some months, still they have not given us the IDs. The good thing is that uh, the university I joined accepts uh, the identification cards from the parents and maybe my birth certificate they accepted yeah at least i had an upper hand apart from the support the parents give you the help loan you can't apply for the help loan because of such and uh, i'm also a musician we go for gigs and such 
and there are some places you can't enter without the ID. A few meters from Shabani's house, Ismail Ali Babala is busy in his house perusing the list of national identification card applicants. Babala, a Nubian elder and appointee of the government in this village, says that unlike their neighboring communities, Nubian youths have to undergo vetting process in order for them to acquire identification cards, an exercise which takes many days to complete. When vetting, we check the list of those who want the identification cards and call for a grassroots vetting committee. Then we forward the list to the area chief. The chief then organizes a vetting exercise with the registrar's office before forwarding the names to Nairobi. In Nairobi, that's where there is a delay. And if we ask, we are told to wait. Sometimes we are told the information for some children doesn't match. If you look at this list, 21 teenagers have applied since November 2020. We still don't have their ideas. Only one applicant from that list received his idea, and he is a Muslim from Kisi community. Locals say since Kenya's independence in the 1963, the Nubian community are perceived to be on the side of the British since they were brought by colonial leaders and they have been sidelined by the government, especially when it comes to documentation, making it difficult for them to own land or even inherit any property left by their parents. According to Zena Ali, a mother of eight children, this has affected their lives both emotionally, economically and even physically. A Nubian isn't recognized in Kenya. You have to pay a bit to get a national identification card, whereas our neighbors are getting them for free. It seems the government is forcing us to buy ID because we have to get an affidavit before we apply, and that costs 200 Kenyan shillings. It used to be 75 shillings. Well, that's like having to buy it, right? Our children will be leaving school soon, but who will employ them in Kenya without ID cards? It'll turn them into delinquents and the government will arrest them. Where are we heading as a country? It's not our fault. We found ourselves in Kenya because of our ancestors. In the Kibera slums located south of Kenya's capital, Nairobi, members of the Nubian community have converged here at the Nubian Rights Forum offices to seek help and updates of their identification cards. Hussein Obaga, a father of two, says he has to depend on odd jobs to sustain his family because he cannot be employed or register for other services without an identification card. So since 2017 until now, I haven't received my ID and I applied in, in 2017. I even went for vetting and I was given a waiting card. You can't get any jobs with that ID and there are a lot of jobs around. I would like to tell the government that we are Nubians and we are also Kenyans. Jamaldin Yaya, a 66-year-old local historian who is part of the Nubian community, tells Africa Calling that the British undermined the future of the Nubians. Their main work at that time was to pacify the tribes as the British tried to develop the country. And one of the biggest development was the railway line, all the way from Mombasa to Kisumu and to Kampala. During the colonial times, we had reserves for all the tribes of Kenya. So these detribalized communities, uh, Wanubians were the biggest. 
The same happened to other Swahili settlements and Somali settlements because all of them were brought by the British. As we came closer to the independence, there was a lot of pressure. But the Nubians were given a land, but they were not given security of the tenure of that land. Pressure from the Nubians asking the British, why don't you give us documents to prove that this is our land? In that time, Nubians were suffering and being marginalized from, let's say, 1970s. They started feeling because in 1960, the infiltration was very small. But from 75 to 85, it increased tremendously. So much so that you only remain with where your house remains. So that has a big negative economical and political impact on the community. And that is what we are still suffering up to now. According to human rights organizations, lack of documentation has impeded the community's active participation in leadership and development, despite being one of the oldest communities in Kenya. Shafi Ali Hussein is the executive director at the Nubian Rights Forum, an organization which fights for the rights of the Nubians in the country. Hussein says this is a violation of human rights, but the government has turned a blind eye on the community. I draft a petition to parliament on this same issue of inclusion, but the clerk of the National Assembly sent me a reply telling me, take your matter to court. I talked personally to my MP, who is Honorable Imran Okoth. He took it to Parliament. The Administrative uh, and Security Caucus of Parliamentary came. They meet about 30 of us, you know, and we have a very fruitful discussion. The Nubian community and the executive. The executive did not want to hear anything, but we challenged them. So I demonstrated, and it went through, and the report is out. Honorable C.S. Matiangi have been given 90 days to put the procedures and to give a Nubian status. That one is Nubian to be recognized as any other tribe in Kenya. And I think by that one, then it will address all the other issues of inclusion that is fitting vis-a-vis the documentation. According to the 2019 national census, there are approximately 100,000 Nubians living in various parts of Kenya, such as coastal areas, Nyanza province, western Kenya, Nairobi region, and the northeastern areas. Hawa Ali, a paralegal officer and activist here in Kisi town in Nyanza region, says, unlike Somalis and other communities, Nubians are not living in borderline for them to be vetted and there is need to empower marginalized and stateless communities to know their rights on land and administration. I think the government needs to sit down and understand the fact that Nubians are Kenyans and we don't live in any border, uh, they don't live in any borderline for them to be vetted. Plus, uh, if you can read through their scripts and everything on how they behave, you cannot say you can associate them with the Somalis. Even their culture is quite different with the Somalis. These are just unique people who need to be acknowledged and given their basic rights instead of being discriminated and sidelining most of the activities that happens. As Kenya prepares for general election in 9th August this year, thousands of Nubians again will not be able to vote due to the lack of national identification cards and other documents. They continue to urge the government to consider them as citizens of Kenya so they can participate in the development of the nation. Reporting for Arafai's Africa Calling, this is Victor Muturi in Kisi, Kenya.
Nubians in neighboring Uganda were treated the same way for over a century, but in 1995, the Uganda constitution recognized them as an indigenous ethnic community and as citizens. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Malawi, the Sunday Times paper reported 87 suicide deaths in the first six months of 2021, a 65% increase from last year. Depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. Correspondent Benson Kunchazera reports on the stigma of mental health issues and the steps the government is undertaking to help those suffering. Here on his farm in Plante, Christopher Banda tends to his work. But despite the blue skies today, life looked a lot darker for the 38-year-old after he lost his wife a year ago in December. Banda was in so much emotional pain during the holidays, losing the person who meant everything to him. He had suicidal thoughts. Ultimately, his family took him to Zomba Mental Hospital where they treated his depression, he says. I was in a situation whereby the only thing I could think was to take out my life because I couldn't imagine living a life without her. But I thank the government for putting in place an initiative to help people with depression because people don't understand that people become socially isolated for different reasons. Some by losing a friend, a spouse, mental or physical illnesses, age, losing a job, even retirement. The Malawi government has stepped up its attention to the issue of depression and suicide. In Lilongwe, the capital, police recorded 133 cases of suicide or attempted suicide between September 2018 and June 2019. Patricia Kaliati, Malawi's Minister of Gender, Community Development and Social Welfare, says the ministry is conducting awareness campaigns. Those who feel depressed should go to the nearest healthcare centers. Malawi's Sunday Times paper reported 87 suicide deaths in the first six months of 2021, a 65% increase from last year. We are visiting Emine, a youth organization advocating mental health wellness in Plante, Malawi's commercial hub. Thompson Gutan, Emine's mental health advocate, says for generations, Men have been pushed to hide their feelings and not admit they are struggling. He says men are more likely to kill themselves. Men do not feel like that, that they can trust somebody. There's that fear that when I tell that person, take it out and I'll be, it'll be, it'll be a shame to me. So to avoid all that, men keep on holding on to the issues they are facing. As a result, the solution is, is suicide. He calls for better care for people who suffer from depression and for the government to get more involved in treating people with mental health issues. And the main solution to this is to intensify awareness and mental health, depression, anxiety, and people should be aware that it is okay not to be okay. It is normal for somebody not to be okay, but there might be a solution. That solution comes when a person shares a problem. How do you do it? A team of people, the people should be deployed out there. We know in the national budget is Malawi. Uh, the issues of mental health are underfunded. Mostly uh, the funding goes to the diseases that we see, uh, malaria, COVID and the like. Mental health issues 
they are not considered much in the national budget and to deal with men you know men do not like talking but if we can promote um, even instituting groups for men to be meeting and to be discussing in, in, in the community setup that will also help Malawi has only three trained psychologists for a population of 17.5 million according to MIND. Most community-based health care providers have received little or no training in youth mental health care in either Malawi or neighboring Tanzania. In addressing the challenge, Minister Kaliat says they are collaborating with Malawi's Ministry of Health in order to train more specialists in the field. She calls on Malawians to seek medical attention if they are depressed. Despite efforts by the government, Kaliat admits that no progress has been achieved so far. Symptoms and causes of depression can vary widely from person to person. Kaliati said earlier this month that people who are feeling mental and well will be allowed to take a vacation in order to get treatment bad was quick to say the government will not pay for expenses. Reporting for RFI's African Calling, this is Benson Conchezela in Plantair. Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. When three Ghanaian men decided to start a charitable initiative in 2017, they had no idea about its far-reaching benefits. Layad Konadu, Afrobeast, and their friend Kwablis, all based in Accra, the capital, founded the Dance with a Purpose Academy. Their aim? Taking young people off the streets and helping them find their motivation through dance. The academy is living up to its name four years after it was set up. Correspondent Pearl Akanya Ofori went to Dance with a Purpose Academy and filed this report. Um, abu, abu, abu. Deep in conversation with his fellow dancers, Solomon Obin is discussing a new music video shoot for the dance class. Wearing a pair of dark brown jeans with a branded t-shirt bearing the inscription, Dance with a Purpose. Solomon reaches for his dancing shoes and his bag as he prepares for today's dance class. The song in the background for today's rehearsal is Mapike, a popular local tune which translates as What Will I Do? Written and sung by Ghanaian urban gospel artist Scott Evans. Some of the students are dancing to this tune while their colleagues cheer them on. Solomon, now 21, joined the Dance with a Purpose Academy when he was 19 and began training to become a professional Afropop dancer. Proud to enroll in at the Dance Institute, he used to hawk bread on the streets of Ghana's capital to support himself and his family. His life, he says, has completely changed. The bread was a family business, so I just had to, had to do the bread, give some small money, once give to pesos. It was really tough. It was very, very tough. Yeah. And how does mommy feel now? Oh, now she's very, very proud of me now, and everything is going well, and I'm also dancing. I'm happy because... Everything has changed. No more bread selling. Dance with a Purpose Academy. They are impacting in our lives. They are changing the dance name in Ghana and outside Ghana. So they are training people who don't have a purpose. Since 2017, 
The DWP Academy has trained more than 200 young Ghanaian people to become professional dancers, who, without this intervention, would have remained on the streets. Here at the academy, Dance God Lloyd explains. The purpose is to change lives <laughs> with dance. You know, help these young people because some of them are from the street and they don't even know how to groom them. Basically, like change their lives because God has a reason why He brought them to us. You know, and some of them have amazing talents. Not just dance. You know, some of them can rap. Some of them have. Creative ideas, you know. Some of them can end up being, you know, influences, you know. So we just groom them. We see what they have. Apart from the capital, where the academy is headquartered, it has branches in other parts of the country, including the U.S. and China. Not only do mentees at this institute get a lot of exposure, but there is also an avenue to make money through paid gigs. In addition to taking these youngsters off the streets and giving them a source of livelihood. The academy also offers dance classes to people outside of that bracket. One of them is 19-year-old Rachel, a student of the University of Ghana, who is training to become a professional dancer and choreographer. She enrolled four years ago, and she says the experience has been life-transforming. And I want to find my purpose in this dance thing I'm doing. If not anything after school, what can I do? I can dance. Why not dance and make money out of it? So I decided to, yeah, that's how it has been from my journey to now. I've seen the growth and then how it has transformed my life. Because now when I go out, people know me like, hey, Rachel, energy goddess. I've gotten to meet big people, a lot of people that want to like really help, which has helped me a lot. How confident I am right now, yes. At the academy. Both Rachel and Solomon are preparing to end today's dance session, but Solomon won't leave without telling me how a rare feature in the already music video of renowned American singer Beyoncé remains one of his fondest memories—an opportunity he would never have gotten if he had not joined the DWP Academy. It's really a big opportunity. Everyone wants to be in Beyoncé's video. And fortunately for us, we were in. Which song was it? Already. Already. Yeah. How did that make you feel? <laughs> I didn't walk normal again. <laughs> I was proud of myself because it's Beyonce, Beyonce, childhood Beyonce. <laughs> I was very proud of it. As students here dance their hearts out, the DWP Academy hopes to impact more people like Solomon. And Rachel across the globe with dance, by giving them opportunities through art. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Pearl Akanya Ofori, Accra, Ghana. Find us on your favorite podcast platform app, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're almost at the end of our program. We have music maven Alison Hurd in the studio. Hi, Alison. What do you have for us today? Hi, Laurentula. Well, since you've been talking about Nubian identity in in today's show, I thought I'd bring you some sounds from a band called Al Sahar and the Nubatones. Al Sahar is a Sudanese-born singer now living in the U.S. as a refugee. Um, much of her music has been inspired by her Nubian roots,、um, especially the songs of return. This was music very popular. 
during the 60s and 70s when Nubian communities living along the Nile River uh, got flooded and then displaced with the creation of the Aswan Dam. And so people resettled in cities like Khartoum and Cairo and other places in the Arab world. Um, so that all sounds quite traditional. But the band nonetheless uh, describes its sound as East African retro pop. So you can imagine it isn't altogether traditional. I've picked their most recent track. It's called Menana, uh, which was in fact written in early 2019 in the middle of the Sudanese revolution. The title means Who Am I? So it's a lot about loss. But as Azra says herself, it's about the joys of memories past and those coming up. So it's not a sad song. I hope you like it. Oh, great. Well, thanks for listening to episode 11 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Al Sarah and the Nubitones. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Nicolas Doro and Erwan Rome. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.